Would you join with me in prayer? Dear Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you for your attitude of your heart. I thank you for your character. I thank you for your commitment to us. I thank you for your love. I thank you for all these things that just never change, not not one tiny bit. I thank you for your word that stands forever. And I pray, Lord, that you fill us with your spirit, open our hearts up to you even as we open your word up to us. We give you this time in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. When I was in college, I, I put myself through school, um, among other things, being a summer custodian, um, working for the school district for the summers, because a lot of school districts do that. They hire a bunch of like college students to come in and do the massive cleaning that has to happen between the spring and the, and the fall semesters. Uh, most of that is uh, I don't know, chiseling gum off the bottom of desks and lunch tables. Oh, you'd be shocked at the things under the lunch tables. Um, Cleaning bathrooms, girls' bathrooms, infinitely worse than the boys' bathrooms. Um, It just is. I'm sorry. That's objectively true. Um, And uh, waxing the floors, cleaning the lockers, that sort of thing. Um, But I remember one summer when they decided as a school district that it was cheaper to grab one of us and have us do the weed spraying than to farm it out to some sort of professional. And they're like, oh, grab, grab one of the college students. So I remember uh, they grabbed me, gave me a spray can filled with defoliant and a bunch of gallons of defoliant and said, have at it. And I was fine with that because I got to be outside all day and get a tan and listen to tunes and stuff and, and just be by myself and do my own hours as I, as I worked on that. Well, all my buddies are stuck inside chiseling gum and goo off the bottom of desks and uh, dealing with bathrooms and stuff. So I was, I was absolutely fine with that. In fact, I, 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 some of the buildings were closed for the summer. Uh, no, nothing was going on. So they gave me a set of keys so I could get in and I could, I could take my breaks or eat my lunch in air conditioning. I could use the restrooms, all that kind of stuff. And it, it was great. I could go for weeks at a time without seeing another district employee just doing my job. And all my buddies are stuck inside doing all this stuff. And I, I really enjoyed it. At one point, I finally, at the, you know, halfway through the summer, two-thirds of the way through the summer, I finally wrapped back around to the junior high, and I was spraying weeds there, and that was cool. But I got to see my buddies during break times and, and, and lunch time, and that's when things got a little colorful. Because um, they're like, wait a minute. Nobody is there? I'm like, yeah. You were out at this school? Yeah. Nobody's there at all. Right. You have no supervision. Now, well, how do they know that you didn't come an hour late or leave an hour early or take three hours for lunch? How do they, how, I don't understand. Nobody knows when you come in the morning, when you leave. For that matter, some of the, even the, the full-timers are like, I'm sorry, wait, they gave you keys? <laughs> Can I, not even all the, the full-timers got keys. They're like, you have keys to everything in all the buildings and you're unsupervised. I'm like, Yeah. And I remember everybody was kind of mostly joking, um, messing with me about this and grousing about this when John Brown, the, the big boss supervisor, the guy who gave me the defoliant and the keys, John Brown came into the break room and they started asking him. They're like, how come? What's up with that? I mean, they asked him the same questions. And being John, a man of few words, he just shuffled over and he grabbed his, his sandwich out of, the, out of the fridge and said, I trust him. And then walked out of the break room. That was it. That's tiny, but it's huge. 
I never really thought about it in quite those terms. I mean, I knew they handed me keys. Or, I get it. But with responsibility comes privilege. With privilege comes responsibility. And both of those are growing out of trust. And so when I went out there, I'm like spraying weeds and unwanted grasses. I'm sitting there that afternoon going, wow, this is, um, I mean, I've been conscientious in my work. I, I try to live out my integrity, especially as a Christian. And apparently that's been seen. But that makes me want to be conscientious about my work and want to live out my integrity as a Christian and my character. I mean, it, there's nothing in the world that would make me more make sure that I'm there five minutes early and a half an hour early, make sure I leave 10 minutes after I'm done, than to have somebody go, I trust him. I'm like, well, I ain't doing nothing to mess with that trust. I'm making sure I'm the, the most conscientious worker they have. Now, the next summer, they said, um, you probably ought to be wearing jeans and gloves as you, but midsummer, and a, and a mask, maybe. And then the next summer, they realized that insurance really doesn't cover college students handling toxic chemicals that, that can cause skin cancer and hair loss. And they... <laughs> and so there's guys in moon suits going and spraying this as they give it to professionals. But I will always remember, I always remember that, that, that sense of being entrusted with something and, and the responsibility that gave me. Sometimes people talk about having a sacred trust. What they mean is, you know, this is a special trust or it's about a special thing. Between you and the fence post, to me, all trust is sacred. Anytime somebody trusts me, they trust me I'm entrusted with raising children. I'm entrusted with a set of keys. I'm entrusted with the pulpit. Anytime I'm entrusted with anything, I consider that a sacred trust. If everything I do is an embassy for Christ, then what I do with that trust that's been given to me is an embassy for Christ. I actually like having responsibility. It doesn't intimidate me. It, it focuses me. It, it, it motivates me. I like it. It keeps me sharp keeps me from doing really dumb stuff that I would ordinarily do on my own. Because somebody goes, well, I trust you, and I'm like, oh, man, now I can't be incredibly stupid. <laughs> I like it. So when I talk and I think about being entrusted with something, when I think about responsibility, I think about that very positively. I have a great deal of joy that comes with that. Beloved, you have been entrusted with something. Actually, several somethings in Scripture. You've been entrusted, and I think that's an amazing thing. Jesus' cousin John and his two brothers, James and Jude, wrote large chunks of the New Testament. And I love how Jude starts his letter. In Jude 1, only 3, he says, Dear friends, beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, that's really what I wanted to talk about, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints because there are people undermining the truth of Scripture. And, and you, you, I have to contend for what we've been given because I love that, that concept he just slipped in there. The faith, the church of Jesus Christ, the message of the good news, the kingdom of God, the Christian faith has been entrusted to us to schmoes like you and me, to just ordinary guys, right? Although we talked last week about that, didn't we? In the churches, there's such a thing as just 
Ordinary guys? No. There's no ordinary guys in the church. Y'all, saints, set apart holy ones. You've all been bought and paid for. You're all children of the living God who share in the inheritance. There are no ordinary guys in the church. No. God doesn't see us that way. We shouldn't look at us that way. When God looks at us, he sees his children, his redeemed children, his beloved children, his trusted children. When he looks at us as Christians, when we've been washed clean by his blood, he sees us as the ones that he created millennia ago in the garden to walk with him and have relationship with him to be entrusted by him. When our sins are washed away, when the guilt of that, the, the legal debt of that has been removed, we've been bought into his family. We've been adopted into his family. He looks at us and sees family. There are no ordinary guys in the church. And according to Genesis, if I'm reading it correctly, God gave us, gave his children in Genesis 1, rule, dominion, over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground, all those things that he just created, that he just considered good. He's like, I did that, and that is good. That's good stuff. He entrusted to our care. He said, I give all of this to you to be a steward of. I want you to show your stewardship, and that is amazing, especially since we stink at it. We're so bad. We're so bad. We're so bad at that. One of the first things we did was eat what we weren't supposed to eat, and after that, everything got broke. The ground didn't work as well. The animals didn't work together as well. We didn't work together as well. Our bodies didn't work together as well. We broke everything, and we keep doing it. We keep botching the planet. We only do it a little bit every day, but we keep botching the planet, don't we? Bringing ruin to the very stuff we're supposed to take care of, and yet we're still given stewardship of it. God is still handing it to us and saying, no, seriously, this matters to me. Do this right. This place matters to me. I created it to be good. It's not anymore, I know, but that's on you. This matters to me. Do this right. I stink at it, I know. I will help you, but this matters to me. Do it right. I think that's an amazing concept that he trusts us with the planet that we botched already. He trusts us not because we're so trustworthy, but because as family, we should be. Right? You should be. Like John Brown handing me keys and going, I trust you. And I'm like, well, then I probably should be trustworthy. I hope I was before, but now I'm actively trying to be. I'm consciously going, wait, I need to rise to my best. I need to be motivated to rise to my finest. Because if God trusts us, that should encourage us to be conscientious about our work, to to consider our integrity and our character. It's a sacred trust. At every level of what that phrase means. I've been entrusted with the planet. But it's more than just the planet, isn't it? It's more than just the planet. When Paul is talking to the Romans about the Jewish people in Romans 3, he says, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. Nobody else on the planet had been, had they? I mean, everybody has the imago dei, the image of God in us. 
every religion echoes the truths of God. There's bits and snippets. Even in Sunday school, we talked about how Assyrian, Babylonian, Sumerian religions had stories of a flood that were a mangled version of the actual story of the flood. Every religion has bits and snippets of mangled bits of truth in it. One people have been given the very words of God. Everything else at best is a bastardization of that. But one people have been given the very words of God. And if that's true, and I think it is, if that's true, that's a sacred trust. Isn't it? But what does that mean about us as Christians? Haven't we as children of God who have been bought and paid for, adopted into the people of God, haven't we also been entrusted with the very words of God? Haven't we? How many of you have access to a Bible? Every single one of you. You Go online. It's for free. You can buy a nice one that has gilt edges. You can do all sorts of things, but you have access to Bibles, and you are stewards of that, that sacred trust. You've been given the words of God, and, and we've been told to be ambassadors of that. If that's true, and I think that it is, what should you do with those words? Did you lock them up, lock them away in a holy glowing book that nobody gets to look at or open or touch? The E. Plebnista factor? Do you just say, no, these are too holy for anybody to look at? By the way, when I say that, let me back up. Sometimes when I say that, you think, oh, he means like in a, in a glass case up on a, up on a pedestal. Can you lock your Bible away, untouchable on a coffee table? This big, beautiful, leather Bible, gold sides, coffee table. Look, I have a Bible there. Do you read it? No. On Sundays, sure. I read along with Kevin. I don't want to do that. I shouldn't ignore them. I shouldn't ignore the words of God. I shouldn't ignore them when it suits me to ignore them. I really don't like praying about or thinking about those verses that talk about patience or forgiveness. I really don't want to be patient or forgiving toward that person. And you shouldn't trot them out or bludgeon other people with them when it suits your purposes. By the way, boom, boom, boom. Let me cherry pick which verses I pull out that I can hit you with. I don't want to do that. I don't want to express expertise in this if I'm personally unfamiliar with the Bible. I don't want to tell people, I follow the Bible. You go, do you ever read it? Well, no. And yet you can't shrug your shoulders and be fine with just being an amateur, can you? You've been entrusted with the very words of the living God. Do you get to just go, ah, it's okay. You, I'm, not, I'm not saying everybody has to learn Hebrew and Greek and take theology course. You don't all have to be experty experts, but you're all stewards of this. We're all stewards of God's truth. You've been handed the living word. You've been given the sharpened sword of God's truth. Please do not fling the sword around in a wild abandon that comes from a lack of training. You will beat other people with the sword and hack them to bits. Don't do that. You ever use a chainsaw when you were a little kid? I remember my mom used to just hand me the chainsaw in the crib and say, have at it. 
There used to be four of us. You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't hand somebody something that powerful and say, do whatever you want with it. I'm sorry, is the Bible more or less powerful than a chainsaw? I think of what Paul told Pastor Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2. He says, the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, all that stuff, all those words of God, all those doctrines of the faith, all that truth, all that stuff that was entrusted to me, I want you, Timothy, to entrust that stuff to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. You've been entrusted with God's truth. I want you to share God's truth and entrust it to others. You've been given the very living words of God. I was given the living words of God. Hand them to other people. Do your best, he says, study. To present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed, who rightly handles, rightly knows how to cut like a diamond cutter, the word of truth. And again, I know he's talking to a pastor. I get that. But we've all been given this stuff. We all have. Shouldn't we want to at least be accurate with it, conversant in it. It's important. All this stuff that's been entrusted to us. Don't fling your chainsaw. And don't let it rust in the garage. Use it. Because you've learned how to use it. Do your best. I love that Paul tells the Thessalonians... Paul told the Thessalonians, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. I love that he tells Timothy, find other guys who can be approved by God to do that. And he tells the Thessalonians, well, we have. We are absolutely people who have been entrusted with the good news. And ultimately, he says, because we're not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. I don't, I'm not trying to abuse these words of God. No, I'm not going to abuse them to please you. I'm not going to abuse them to please myself. I'm not going to abuse it to please them. I'm just not going to do that. But it's interesting that Paul clarifies it's not just the very words of God, but the gospel itself. Not just, yes, the Bible. But he's like, no, there's a specific message, the good news of the kingdom of God that's been given to goombas like you and me. I'm not qualified. Are you qualified to share that? Are you experts? I'm not an expert. Wait a minute, those are two different things, though. Do I have to be an expert to be qualified to share the gospel? I just have to understand what it is. I have to be living it out. I need to confess Jesus as my Lord and live like he's my Lord. I need to realize I'm a child of the living God. I need to let him work in my heart and change me. That qualifies me. The moment I become a Christian, I become an ambassador. It's not about whether or not you're qualified. It's about, please, try to live up to your qualification. Live it out. Be the best, sharpest tool that you can be that God can use. But no matter what, you are one of his tools in his tool belt. I love that. It's my faithful service that I have been entrusted with to share the good news of Christ's sacrifice for us on the cross, the good news of his death and resurrection, the good news that sin need no longer bind me, bind you, 
We've all been bought back by Christ's blood. That payment's already sitting there. You don't have to earn it. You can't earn it. You just have to access it. And if that's true, and I think that it is, what should we do with that gospel if we've been entrusted with it? Is that something where we just enjoy the truth and then just hold it for ourselves in a corner somewhere? It's that Fabergé egg fragile thing that's only for my eyes. Or are we stewards of this as ambassadors? And like Timothy, like the Thessalonians, like we're supposed to be sharing it with all the other people too. We're supposed to be handing it out. We're supposed to be rightly dividing it. We're supposed to be explaining it. We're supposed to be sharing it in every way, in every part of our lives. He trusts us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not because we're so arguably trustworthy. You will botch this. But because as family, we, we should be trustworthy. And so he says, this matters to me. Do it, do it right. I'll even show you how. I'll help you how. I'll give you my spirit to help you how. Because if God trusts us, that should encourage us to be conscientious about our work, to want to live out that integrity, that character. It should make us go, well, I may not be worth this, but I need to try to be. Not so that somebody hands me keys, but because somebody just handed me keys. They handed me keys, said, be trustworthy, and I need to go, okay, could you help me with that? And he says, in fact, I can't. But it should motivate us to rise to our finest, not just out of a sense of obligation, not grudgingly, joyfully. Hey, I think of like First Peter 5, where Peter's like, guys, 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 if you're going to be shepherds, have the right attitude about this. Over the sheep that are entrusted to your care, right? Pastors, you've been entrusted with God's people. It's the reason why elsewhere in Scripture we're told pastors, teachers have this special target painted on us. Don't screw this up and realize Satan himself is gunning for you. And you go, but it's a privilege that comes with that responsibility and it comes from trust where God says, I want to entrust my little ones to you. Peter, feed my little lambs. And knowing that you've been given the keys that unlock the chains that bind the world in sin and death and fear, that we've been entrusted to be part of how God sets captives free, like like other reliable people had been part of the process of setting us free, to know that we've been entrusted with that, that unmerited, merciful trust, that's amazing to me. And it motivates me to want to live that out. Does it motivate? Does it motivate you? It should motivate us to say, wait a minute, I can't just be a spectator. I'm on the field no matter what. I'm either on the field doing nothing or on the field doing something, but I'm not, I'm never on the bench. And not, it's not just our actions, right? Because that's what Peter was getting at in 1 Peter 5. It's not just about our actions. It's about what's going on inside of our hearts. Because I love that Paul's talking to Pastor Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, and he talks about this glorious gospel, the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. He gave me this. He trusted me in this. And then he says something incredibly relevant for those of you that are saying, well, what does this have to do with our sermon series? Hopefully by now you're figuring out that all of these have to do with our sermon. But he says... 
this, he's talking about this glorious gospel that, which was entrusted to me. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me faithful. That he entrusted it to me. He trusted me with it. He appointed me to his service. I thank God for considering me faithful. For looking at me and seeing his child whom he created to trust to be stewards of all of his blessings. I created you in Eden to be stewards of all of this. I have recreated you in Christ to be my children, to be stewards of all of this. And I love that Paul's immediate response is, even though I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, I was a violent man, that's what I once was. Even though I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. I didn't know what I was doing. I'm exactly the person that Jesus on the cross said, forgive him, he doesn't have a clue, he's a bonehead. Paul goes, that was me. I was the worst of the boneheads. I might as well have driven the nails in myself. That's who I was. And God looked at you and said, you, the worst of everything you can think of. Yes, do you accept my forgiveness that's sitting there already for you? Yes. Do you let me wash you clean? Yes. Do you let me buy you into my family? Yes. Then I give all this to you and entrust all this to your care. Be trustworthy. Paul says, how can I not fall down on my knees and say, thank you. Thank you. This grace, this unmerited favor of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, he says, along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. For that I rightly thank God. I thank him that he trusts me. I thank him so much. I should live in this attitude of gratitude for the fact that God has shown me grace, not just to love me, not just to save me, but to entrust me with his sacred trust to share the inheritance of Christ, the kingdom of God, with all the other saints, not just as citizens, but as stewards, as protectors. With all that in mind, Paul ultimately says, hey, you know this gospel, these very words of God that have been entrusted in my care. Hey, Timothy, he says in chapter 6, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Don't take it for granted. Don't ignore it. Don't ignore all those people out there that are consciously or ignorantly working to corrupt what has been entrusted to you. The world is broken and it will expect you to be broken and even out of the goodness of its heart will try to shove you into its broken shape. Sometimes maliciously try to shove you into its broken shape. Let's go back to the planet analogy. Very few people outside of James Bond movies want to destroy the planet, right? Nobody wants to do that. They just do it in little bites because it suits certain purposes at certain times to do so. And if I only destroy this little bit, it's okay. Some don't even think about how destructive they're really being. Others do, but they just don't care because they want its riches. They want its resources. They just don't want its stewardship. Well, the same is true of our abuse of God's word, his living word, his gospel, his truth. We nudge it, we tweak it so that it better fits our certain purposes in our certain times. Sometimes we don't even think about how destructive we're doing, we're, we're being with that. Some of it we do, we know, but it's, cert, it's 
gives me power. It gives me authority. I just don't want that a power and authority over me. I just want to use it over you. So Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from all the godless chatter, all that opposing ideas of what's falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in doing so have wandered away from the faith. All the clever bits of stewardship that are all about intellectual and knowledgeable gunk that people clog their spiritual arteries with. Because it's better than scripture. It makes more sense. All the words that people fill themselves with that supersede and outweigh the words, the very words of God that we've been entrusted with. You can apply this however you want. Knock yourself out. I don't care whether you talk about words on Insta Face Twit. I don't care if you're talking about partisan news channels, including yours, gossip, or those really clever, snarky little biting witticisms that you love to toss out because they're funny. I don't care if you're talking about doctrines that are designed to placate broken, sinful people or to bolster the ego of Christians so that they feel more more instead of honoring the God who created them both. He's talking about all these words that tip the scales of our lives away from the word of God, away from the words of God and toward the words of this world, including our own. You're entrusted with God's truth and stewardship over God's truth. You're entrusted to guard it, not because it's so fragile or easily lost, but because you are. You're so fragile and easily lost. I'm so fragile and easily lost. So guard that truth. Why? Because it'll slip through your fingers. And it ain't even slippery. It's just that your fingers are. In his second letter to Timothy, Paul reiterates the point. Second Timothy, he says, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. He says this to Timothy twice in two letters. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Not guarding it and hiding it away. Not guarding it from distrusting others. Guarding it through the Spirit's help from overly trusting ourselves with it. Just assuming that we merit God's trust. You've been given this amazing blessing, this stewardship of the planet, this guardianship of the very words of God, the embassy of the gospel. We've been given all of this, but we need to be vigilant because if we're not careful, we become part of the problem of the corruption of it. If we hold on to it without sharing, if we share it because it makes us feel better than the person next to us, if we share it but skip the parts of the Bible we don't really like as much, tweak them so that if we can just keep changing them enough, it'll eventually say what I want it to say in the first place i don't want to be part of the problem i want to be part of the solution no i've been entrusted with being part of the solution whether i want it or not which makes me want it yes god trusts us I've said it before, but it merits saying again. In seminary, I was in a class one time where one of my professors asked everybody how it makes them feel to know that they've been given the name of God. You're part of the household of God, and you carry his name with you. How does it make you feel? And some of them said, oh, it just makes me feel so loved. It makes me feel so accepted. Absolutely. I feel warm. Absolutely. He got to me and he said, how does it make you feel to know you bear God's name? And I said, Responsible. I bear his name. I am not just Kevin. I'm not just Kevin Wright. I'm Kevin Wright, 
the Christian and the ambassador of Christ. It makes me responsible. And yet I like that responsibility. Even if sometimes I know I fail the responsibility, that gives me something to aim for. And I know that God's trust in me is not because I'm so trustworthy, but because he should be. And I know that God's Holy Spirit is within me so that when I drop the ball, and I frequently do, God's Holy Spirit's like, "Uh, you really didn't need to because I'm right here. Let me help you pick it back up. Let me help you dust it off. Let me help you do this right. Let me convict you of sin. Let me draw your attention. Let me empower you to speak. Let me keep you focused. Let me lean on the Holy Spirit. God trusts us with a sacred trust. And that's amazing. I want to thank God for it. I want to thank him for his amazing, essential goodness. I want to thank him for his love that endures forever, even far beyond my ability to be lovable. I want to thank him for his consistent righteousness. I want to thank him for the wonders that God does that are so far beyond anything I could ever ask or imagine. I want to thank him for always listening, always engaging with me, always answering my prayers. I want to thank him that he he's sharing his inheritance because it's never just about being God. It's about being in relationship as part of this family. And not just me. I want to thank him for all of you guys who are part of this with me. And anybody I say, well, it's hard for me to thank him for Erica because she's messed up. I'm like, look in a mirror, Kev. I thank him for all of you, and I hope you thank him for all of us with whom we share in the inheritance because all of this, all of this points to a mindset, a way of looking at the world that is fundamentally different than the way the rest of the world looks at it. We are not sitting on a mud ball trying to eke out an existence. We're not sitting on a mud ball and it's the only thing we've got and we better keep it together. We are stewards of the creation of the Creator. Our God who created everything, including us, and governs everything, including us, has placed everything at our feet and says, this matters to me, do this right. This world matters to me. Do this right. This person matters to me. Do this right. Not because he knows we are so trustworthy, but because he created us to be family and says, you should be. Let me help you be. I thank God for that privilege, that responsibility, that sacred trust. Shouldn't that change how I live today? How I parent today? How I drive today? Shouldn't that change me? If it changes enough me's, it changes the world, right? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you for trusting us. I thank you for loving us. I thank you for giving us such a different paradigm. Forgive us for the times where we forget that and just do what everybody else does. Look at it exactly the way everybody else does. I pray, Lord, remind us how big you are and how awesome your trust is. And let that motivate us to be trustworthy, giving thanks to you. In Jesus' name, amen.